We're up to our balls, balls and jugglers. <laughs> Sex Bob-omb. I remember when this film came out, there were a lot of critics who were deriding this as kind of like a tweeny bopper hipster uh, hip, hipster rom-com for yes. the ADD addled millennial generation. And I was just like, well, maybe if you're going to poo-poo it like that and just be a fucking asshole. Why didn't you pull the machines? Why didn't you call them? You didn't see what was going on? Well, there's no way to determine that. Yes, man. there is. An infallible way. They won. Well, it's a casino. People got to win sometimes. Hey, what do you think? I'm a fucking idiot? Probability on one four-wheel machine is a million and a half to one. On three machines in a row, it's in the billions. It cannot happen. Would not happen. You fucking Momo, what's the matter with you? Maybe it was the love of the planets. Maybe it was just my growing dislike for this one. But for as long as I can remember, I have dreamed of going into space. Now that I've met you... Would you object to never seeing me again? The biggest regret of my life, I let my love go. That price on my head, was that dead or alive? Don't remember. See if he starts shooting. I don't ask you over for dinner and then suggest you give a lecture on the peoples of Mesoamerica or whatever your pre-Columbian shit is. This is my job. This is how I pay the fucking rent. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. He ran a security check on me. Well... Sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain, sometimes you need to play the part, right? First of all, dude, you don't have an accent. Secondly, this is a fucking show dog with fucking papers. You can't board it, it gets upset. Its hair falls out. Walter. Fucking no. dog has fucking papers. Over the line! Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey, you were over the line, that's a problem. What happened? Did your, did your balls drop off? <laughs> Hey guys, welcome into episode 27 of Film Tank. Wow. Yeah, we made it all the way up to uh, my, my birthday is the 27th of April, so Yay. it's exciting. <laughs> A little fun fact Yeah, for fun you. fact for you out there, Yay. for you stalkers. Uh, this is episode 27. Uh, my name is Alex Diekman, and those other two voices you hear in the background are Nick Cheney and Tucson Egan. Hello. Player one has entered the game. Oh, Damn. player that, two has entered the game. That that might be uh, a little bit of a, uh, a possibility of what we're we're doing for this episode. Uh, if you uh, are a fan of the uh, Edgar Wright film Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, because that is the film we're talking about on uh, today's episode. Um, the film Scott Pilgrim vs. the World by Edgar Wright stars Michael Sarah as Scott Pilgrim and also stars Mary Elizabeth Weinstead as Ramona Flowers, a wonderful wonderful performance. Performance by Kieran Culkin as Wallace Wells. Also, Allison Pill, uh, Mark Weber, uh, Anna Kendrick in kind of a early performance for her that wasn't one of the Twilight movies. Mm-hmm. Aubrey Plaza and um, also where is the a other lot person? of people? Yeah, I was going to say um, Jason Schwartzman, Schwartzman is the other one I was thinking of. Uh, Captain America is in it. <laughs> yeah, uh, Chris Evans who plays a, a great. Character. Oh, he's got a real name. I always just think of him as Captain America. Well, that's how Marvel would like you to think, so well done, sir. Hey, what's up? I'll leave you alone forever now. You know this one girl with hair like this? Yes, that's Ramona Flowers. She's out of your league. You know her? Tell me now. She just moved here. Got a job at Amazon. I have to order something really cool. Scott, are you waiting for the package you just ordered? Maybe. 
Scott Pilgrim? Hi, I was thinking about asking you out, but then I realized how stupid that would be. That's okay. You should just sign for this, all right? So do you want to go out sometime? I say yes, will you sign for your damn package? So, yeah, 8 o'clock? Come to this Battle of the Bands thing. You have a band. Yeah, we're terrible. Ramona's first evil ex-boyfriend. What? Wait, we're fighting over Ramona? Didn't you get my email explaining the situation? I skimmed it. Mm-mm. What was that all about? If we're gonna date, you may have to defeat my seven evil exes. So what you're saying is we are dating? I guess. Does that mean we can make out? Sure. Feel the wrath of the League of Evil Exes. Ramona dated twins. At the same time. If you want something bad, you have to fight for it. Step up your game, Scott. Combo. Break out the L word. Lesbian? The other L word. Lesbians? Getting a life. You want to fight me for her? Why on earth would you want to do that? Because I'm in love with her. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Maybe next time we don't date the girl with 11 evil exploits. Okay. Oh, that's not that bad. You really should have seen this movie, probably, if you uh, you want to listen to this episode, because uh, I know at least two people on this uh, panel who aren't me uh, really do love this movie. So um, a quick uh, kind of uh, you can't really in a sentence sum up what this movie is, but Scott Pilgrim must defeat his new girlfriend's seven evil exes in order to win her heart. I guess that kind of does explain what the yeah. movie is. Yeah, it's a little more in depth than that. Yeah. Uh, anyways, this was uh, a very interesting comic book adaptation by edgar wright uh in this uh in terms of the grand scheme of things this came after hot fuzz or before this came after okay almost a year maybe two years after but it was pretty much right after he kind of took a break because he didn't want to finish the trilogy just yet uh, the cornado trilogy but mm-hmm. uh, a huge studio gave him a lot of money and he basically got carte blanche as you can see in the final project considering it's unlike any other you know blockbuster you've ever seen this isn't like a marvel film <laughs> yeah no and uh, so that's when he made it, and that's when he got it all out of his system and went back and finished the uh, the trilogy. Okay, very good. So I think we're going to start off with Toussaint, as uh, he should get the get the reins on this one, because I think out of all of us, you're probably the biggest comic book fan, mm-hmm. especially when it's not involving Marvel. Yeah. So uh, let's start with uh, Toussaint, and, and give your feelings on the film, but also give your feelings of this film as it relates to not necessarily the comic book, book but really kind of more like comic books in general okay so this film combines three of my absolute favorite things it combines actually being a film which the I first love, so. being michael Sarah, of course right <laughs> it combines film it combines uh, graphic novels and it combines video games and i think that this is probably one of the most sincere um 
games to incorporate video game, like, like actual like video game iconography and mm-hmm. like sounds into the actual like film. Because so many films don't know how to handle that sort of stuff, but this is more of like looking at it from more of a uh, a generational perspective. I remember when this film came out, there were a lot of. Um, critics who are deriding this as kind of like a a, a tweeny bopper hipster uh, hip, hipster rom-com for yes. the add addled millennial generation and i was just like well maybe if you're gonna poo-poo it like that and just be a fucking asshole because <laughs> maybe none of these things like 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 the whole um like legend of zelda like sound effects like in, at the very beginning of the film like those things are gonna rope into you because they don't touch home to like your generation or your like right. childhood in that way and Getting getting aside from just like the 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 blatant video game and like graphic novel references, like at its core, I think that Edgar Wright did a really good job of committing the story to to film, and that it's the story of this guy who's it, it, it's basically taking um, the the common situation or a, a common situation of a guy who's pursuing a girl, but they have to work through their own personal baggage in order to get to a point where they're able to actually mutually commit to one another, and it goes in really interesting directions, and especially with the development of like Scott's own character, like whether he thinks he's a a good guy in all of this, and what does he have to owe to the situation? So yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm right there with you. This is uh, easily one of my favorite films of this decade so far. We're about halfway. Really? Through. Oh, yeah. Okay. Of, of this decade, you know, within the first five years. We're, okay. We're already halfway through. Um, it's a film that stayed with me ever since I saw it in the theaters back in 2010, and I just remember that experience. And it's funny because it's not one of your typical, like, great movie experience where the actually the theater was pretty much barely, like, even, like, I think there was probably, like, five other people in the theater. And this was opening weekend, so that tells you why. Edgar Wright was not allowed to do this again. Um, but uh, I just remember me and like the three or four friends I went with were just cracking up at like every single joke. It was just a good time. And it was one of those movies that speak directly to our generation. Right. And that's what made it so just so inviting and interesting to watch. I mean, like you mentioned, the use of sound effects. Like I'm not even, I would say, in this current phase of my life into video games that much anymore. Yeah. At least the same way I was when I was a child. But I played all the Zelda the games whatever so mm-hmm. when scott goes to take a piss and you hear the song that plays when he when link visits the fairy fountain you know yeah. like but, uh, that's uh, a uh, very uh, specific reference and yet only because i have that context from my childhood do i i'm instantly taken back to that you know and and it just connects me to the movie and the character in a way that a lot of like script writing just can't do because mm-hmm. it's setting this atmosphere that I already feel like I'm inhabiting just by you know sensory uh, uh, deprivation or whatever you want to call it. Um, but w- one thing I love about this film is that, like you said, this is not just about one thing in particular. It's not about like just video games or even you know comic books or whatever. This is just the most pop cultural uh, literate movie I think I've ever and, seen. And it doesn't feel disingenuous. It doesn't seem like yeah. these references just exist well, for the sake of it's existing. It's funny because we, we talk about how this film gets mentioned as there are you know references to things that people may have not seen and they see 
this movie and they're like what the fuck is this yeah which i i guess i could see but there are also like very much pop culture references from like the 90s and this oh, yeah. like the the seinfeld yes. reference that's what i was gonna bring up and too. the laugh track behind it when yes. like, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the jokes are landing in that part yep. of the scene and it's 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 great at least that part is because it's such a unexpected detour there's a lot of which which you get in other parts of this film but it's just you know you don't really expect a lot of things to happen and they yeah. do there's there's a lot of obscure references that even i am still picking up as i'm rewatching this film over the years like when we sat down to rewatch it before like there's there, there's like that text that will like show up where it's like scott versus the infinite sadness or anything like that it's like that's one thing about this film in that this film came out right before the final volume of this comic series was about to be finished and so Brian O'Malley the actual like comic author like he was actually consulting with Edgar Wright as to the ending and in a lot of ways it matches up in a lot of ways it doesn't but whatever that's just the medium of, of yeah. adaptations and stuff like that but this is just as much an Edgar Wright film yeah as it is a Brian O'Malley yeah you know adaptation yeah and and when there when Scott is walking with Ramona like down the street or whatever and there's like this this text that comes up about like explode with like uh, punctuation between that I laughed at that because that's actually a reference to the poster art for like the animated movie Akira and I couldn't explain that to you but it's just like yeah. something that I immediately recognized as soon yeah. as I saw it and even if you can't like keep up with all the references I mean I can't keep up with all of them you know and I consider myself pretty pop culturally literate yeah. and whatnot. but um, there are still enough goodies I would say in the background of a scene that has nothing to do with references but it's just Edgar Wright's I would say like attention to detail that he puts into all his movies where you know like for example you see seven X's everywhere in the movie like when they're walking down the street and there yeah. are literally seven railroad crossing signs for no real reason other than just to be like oh seven X's you know whatever and little things like that that like this will still reward anybody who just pays attention I mean some of the scenes where it starts to really mirror like a comic book and like what a comic book can do uh, like when um, Scott first returns to his apartment and you see who owns what in the apartment which is both funny because apparently Scott only owns his coat and Wallace uh, like provided everything else that's a funny joke that you have to keep up with but it also is a great character detail to tell you everything you need to know about their relationship and like um, speaking of Wallace like Kieran yeah. Culkin he's the shit in this film he needs to be in more films holy shit he was awesome he's fantastic in this um, another thing I want to say is like the actual crux of this movie the structure of uh, Scott fighting these seven evil exes I I kind of love how different each and every one is because it, for me it's like deconstructing a, a, a different blockbuster type each and every time like the first one is the weakest segment of the whole even though I think the first one has some of the best jokes like uh, amidst a fight, uh, like Wallace and the uh, and Anna Kendrick's boyfriend in the background, and a few other things that are just gold. Uh, but like the first one, you know, just gets into this weird like musical moment, battle of the bands type thing. Uh, but like the second one, like you know, even if was he Captain America at that point? I'm trying to think. That was 2010. No. Okay. So I feel like that's still like a fortuitous ch- uh, turn of events because I I feel like everything in uh, what's his name now? I'm blanking. Um, yeah. Chris- Chris Evans? Chris Evans, yes. Yeah. I was going to say Pine. Uh, Chris Evans, uh, you know, segment went with his fight with Scott is like, I think, a hilarious deconstruction of just that Marvel blockbuster type, which is just stupid catchphrases. Oh, that and, guy? He's my extra. Like, yeah. Sometimes I let him, like, uh, fill in the 
the the in between shots when I'm <laughs> then when I'm going to go get blazed my Winnie. Now, <laughs> now Chris Evans though he was already in a comic book film before this because the Fantastic Four that's is right in comic books we don't like to talk about that but uh, and even that scene like it's very telling that you know the, the way Scott defeats these enemies is also another character detail like Chris Evans character is done by his own ego because Scott doesn't actually have to defeat him he defeats himself when he says I bet you can't do a thingy on the thingy and you mean a, like, you mean a grind, a grind on, yeah. on that thing it's like yeah I bet you can't do a grindy thingy on that rail there <laughs> so yeah it's like little things like that that I, I just get more and more out of the more I watch it because I'm starting to realize that like almost every move and and this is pretty much what I've come to expect from any Edgar Wright movie uh, and that's why of course he quit an Ant-Man because he was not going to get full control over uh, a script for Marvel and this is a shame because when you watch something like Scott Pilgrim you can see what he would have did for the Marvel franchise and I think it would have been incredible but uh uh, but th- I guess I don't want that. But it's just a I, I love this film. I could gush about it for hours. There's so many jokes that like I quote with some of my friends who have seen the movie that just come up whatever. So it's it's fantastic. But what about you, Alex? Yeah, I am kind of on the opposite spectrum of you guys, where I just saw this for the first time, really. So I don't. I'm, not, I'm really not able to quote uh, lines from this film. Yeah. I don't have you know a lot of um, you know scenes remembered exactly how they uh, happened. I will say though, when this film started, uh, I was not necessarily feeling it uh, when it originally started. But I think as it, the film went on and it picked up, I was more able to sort of go with what this universe was giving, which I think is a great sign of what a, a film like this can be, where. I feel like a lot of films that are universe building, which is for, for the most part what this film is, even though it's trying to stay in the real world, obviously it's not. Right. You're able, I was able to jump on in one viewing, especially later in the film where I was like totally on board because as the film goes on, the fights get bigger and better and more involved and the the technical aspects of the film get a lot more in detail later in the film where earlier on it's almost it's almost like campy in the yeah. earlier scenes where it, the later scenes it's like legit like when, when he's fighting the, the twins and the Battle of the Band segment that's just awesome. That was a great use of CGI where that, that's another example of like CGI doesn't have to look fake if you just I don't know the exact word or phrasing I want to use but like that's an example where CGI can be a great tool when you're not trying to just use CGI to look realistic instead he was just using it to look fucking awesome and, mm-hmm. and it does you know when those two monsters are fighting each other and what was your favorite fight in the in the film the entire are you asking me yeah you yeah. Uh, in the entire thing I gotta say it's probably the um, now I'm blinking but hold on now I gotta recap them because I, I gotta figure this out, but we have the uh, the Deb Patel, uh, yeah, whatever, uh, Chris Evans, and mm-hmm. then we have what else? We have Roxy somewhere in there. Yeah, but um, oh, there's the the vegetarian guy oh, yeah. from uh, Clash. That's not my favorite fight, but I gotta say the, the hardest I made me laugh, even when I just think about it, is the, the vegan police coming Milk and eggs, in, bitch. And when they when they leave and they just high five each other and go, yeah. One yeah. <laughs> one of which is uh, Thomas right. Thomas Thomas Jane. Jane that's right who, who was the punisher at one point mm-hmm. <laughs> i gotta say i feel like the fight that kind of gets me most slack jawed you know is actually the final fight um when scott goes to meet up with uh, uh, uh jason schwartzman's character gideon, gideon, gideon yes yeah. not because it's got the best choreography maybe per se even though it actually it's pretty good obviously but i don't you know the cgi of the 
just the imagery of the of these people uh, just dissolving into quarters. It's just one and of the, the coolest. Pan out when you actually see like yeah, the and like yeah. The, yeah, and just the way that because the whole thing is every every fight they're like they they come into more quarters basically mm-hmm. or they turn into more quarters. So when we get to this final you know boss battle whatever, and like there are like hundred, it's like Kill Bill in there where he's just going from one to another or whatever, and they're just going into like hundreds of quarters. It's just like a spectacle of that all just kind of takes my breath away. So it's awesome. If I, I can interject really quickly i um for me at least thought the character of gideon was probably the weakest part of the film i agree he's, I, I don't think he's a very strong antagonist and we don't even really get introduced to him until the third act of the film and i think when you say he's not a strong antagonist and i hate to say this i think partially that could be i would say almost intentional because he is supposed to be this very pathetic figure because they keep hyping him up yeah and so it's not so much that i i understand and i agree in the sense that he's nowhere near one of my favorite like Parts of the film. No. Yeah. Um, but I kind of think that that's actually why it, that whole ending sequence does work, because it ends up being that he's just this pathetic man. He's a very petty, narcissistic, right. and egotistical character, because he has so much power, so much clout as he has in his world, and it's kind of alluded to in the in the actual film, but it's actually goes into more detail in the actual comics that Ramona was very much spitting with Gideon, but Gideon didn't give a shit about her because he could have anything, and when he couldn't have Ramona anymore, then he he, he drove himself to almost an insane amount of pettiness in, in just trying to get this person back, just to have them under under his thumb. I'd have to say, like going back to the the or the favorite fight scene, I, I would just say that Roxy versus Ramona was my favorite, just because it was a nice break away from the... I'm stand- a little by furious. Yeah, by furious. Like, it, it was a nice... <laughs> Love um, a good pun. <laughs> ...break from the whole, like, Scott versus whoever. Sort yeah, because I will say, like, up until that point, then you're kind of wondering, okay, so it's got to be the man's job to, like, yeah. fight for. But, yeah, I will say with that introduction, and not only that, but the, the final climax is actually Knives coming to help mm-hmm. Scott... And also Ramona as well, defeat Gideon. I'm so, here to fight you. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, but I, I like that it incorporated the other characters as well, and it wasn't just, uh, as the title suggests, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, but that title is just another reflection of Scott's narcissism that's found at the very beginning of the film. Yeah. And it's not until he, uh, as so to speak, uh, gains the power of self-respect, that's also when he becomes more empathetic towards the people around him and starts to see them as like actual human beings. And there's an awesome meta joke um, breaking away from that because the first time he goes to uh, the chaos, the chaos theater in order to fight Gideon, he f- he fails and he uses a one up that he got from the twins yeah. fight, and he goes back there and he does it much much faster. And it's an awesome like brick cut like yeah. standard Edgar Wright thing, and he the, goes down there and besides Edge of Tomorrow, this might be the best video game movie ever yeah. made because it actually understands the like, central conceits behind a video game. Yeah, when he when he walks out of the theater, the the the, the elevator or whatever, in order to go into the theater, you can see Camus who is kind of like this. Uh, stereotypical, prototypical, like hipster dude who like knows everybody. That's his whole description. He knows everybody and knows everything. Like you can overhear him talking to somebody else. He's like, "Yeah, people say that the comic is better than the movie." I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> yep. that was like, yeah." Because he's uh, that's right. He's in all, like a lot of the background scenes. Like mm-hmm. he's at the party, and yeah. there he's talking about. Well, yeah, th- that band was very good when they were first starting out, and you yeah. know he's that. Yeah, so that's that's a great use of like background players, which is something that Edgar Wright does. Uh, magnificent 
magnificently, and sometimes even greater effect in some of his other movies, where like they'll become even bigger characters. Those damn jugglers are going to come in. <laughs> we're, we're up to our balls, balls and jugglers. jugglers. <laughs> I love that. Even we really hot, have to do Hot Fuzz sometimes. Even though Hot Fuzz is my least favorite of the uh, Cornetto trilogy, it's still a really good movie. I, I was going to say that's just the strength of that trilogy. It's I think just, it's not my favorite of the trilogy. Looking back on it, yeah. it's my favorite. Yeah, but um, something I, I definitely wanted to, to mention is we're, we're talking about like favorite parts of this movie. Uh, a, a part of it that you Toussaint told me that uh, some people did not think was true to the original uh, source material mm-hmm. was the character of Ramona, played by uh, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead. Yeah, and I actually thought she was the best character for me, most interesting character in the film, uh, because I was really able to be interested in what her storyline was is she's almost playing i won't i won't want to say like the main character in the film because she's obviously not but still like she's the character who has to change just as much as michael Sarah's character of scott pilgrim yeah. does as well but they they play it like she's already has everything figured out where in the in reality she's in the same boat pretty much as scott mm-hmm. pilgrim is yeah. so and i was just way up with her performance Especially since she was uh, actually she was younger than I thought she was. She was twenty six when this film came out. Yeah, but she still played that like teenager and had that look. And I think part of it was the the hair and the short blue and purple and green hair that she has throughout the film. But I was just way on board with her performance. And I never thought she was like a like terrific actress or anything like that. But I thought she did a marvelous job in this film. Where you. I, I wouldn't say like people's performances are like, you know, noteworthy in terms of theater and whatever, but I thought she genuinely put on a great performance in that role. It says a lot that in this kind of movie, uh, pretty much everybody who's in this movie, whether they're a weakling or a strong part, has to like arrive, uh, you know, as their character for the moment they step on screen, like Michael Sarah's character, you know, like he's just extremely over-exaggerated, neurotic persona or whatever, and yet she's still able to kind of like I think, like, I agree with you, give a great performance, and yet she's also got to be the one who's the most reserved and deadpan and still stand in the sea of, like, caricature uh, mm. and acting. Uh, so I agree, and I thought she did a fantastic job. There were, there were so many awesome, like, little bits of, of these different characters, but someone I really enjoyed was Alison Pill's take as a uh, Kim Pine, who was kind of like, she was the drummer in, in Scott's band Sex Bomb, which which is funny because it's like, it's like Sex Bomb, but it's also a play on, like, Bomb. Um, which is from Mario, yeah. Um, and she just kept on giving Scott so much shit because, like, there's obviously, like, some some bad blood between Some ex-girlfriend them. tension. Well, yeah, so, that was the thing. Is that so I love how they explain that later in the film. Like, yeah. in, in one throwaway, uh, throwaway line when she's like, oh, yeah, well, what about the time you did this to her? And what about the time you did this to her? And what about the time you broke up with Kim? It was and like, yeah, like, that's oh, fine. She's over it. And, and then it's <laughs> just, like, quick pans to her and just, like, the death stare. And it was the funniest shit ever. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Uh, she Especially in a supporting role, I think, Alice pill should be in more stuff in my opinion yeah the uh but yeah going back i mean there's so many jokes that like even if you don't get the references there's still so much here i think to like laugh at and to appreciate i mean when he's talking to aubrey plaza's character and they're because uh, it's a pg-13 movie bleeping out you know her f words i don't know why but his deadpan re- reaction of how are you doing that with your mouth <laughs> because then that's, you know the film breaking the fourth wall yeah and not even breaking the fourth wall apparently that's just you know the sound she's making so like, I, I, <laughs> yeah so I, I thought that was hilarious also, uh, another thing is that I, I think, uh, especially, in, and this came out uh, in 2010, so it's five years ago now, which is kind of scary, mm. but um, there's a lot of humor with uh, the fact that Kieran Culkin's character is gay, and it, I don't want to say it's like all like 
completely tastefully done because it because it's not necessarily like tastefully done but at the same time i never like felt at, at any point in the movie like they were like shaming anything that he, that he was doing like i felt like quite the contrary actually no it's just very flagrant and proud and that's, yeah. that's the joke is that he's got his life together and he's got his shit together and so it's like what you know like what's being gay on top of that like it's not something to be like obviously ashamed of or whatever so and then but it also does speak to scott's some sometimes uh worst tendencies like when he does introduce wallace and he's like oh this is wallace my gay roommate you know like you know like that's not wallace saying it that's scott saying it and that's actually in character for him because he you know he's just not always the most uh self-aware person yeah um so no but i agree like it's and i i I have to bring up one more thing about that because i i just um (laughs) i love i love the uh and this is something about culture that is just really stupid but how um people are always afraid that they're um, gay people are going to turn straight people gay <laughs> and in fact this film for the most part pokes fun at it as he does take people's boyfriends yeah. Yeah. straight girls boyfriends and then they become gay with him which yeah. I, I just thought that that was I don't want to say like genius or anything like that but I, I thought the way that they played Wallace's character in this film uh, it was just terrific by Edgar Wright and I, I feel like it was really um, in its place especially e- even five years ago when um, you know the, the movement was at a, even a much different place than it is now so I was, yeah. I was, I was a fan and that's the other that's another example um, of the movie like subtly building up his characters in a, in a way that like without having to show flashbacks or anything like that because uh, when when uh, in the very first fight when he does steal Anna Kendrick's boyfriend she says well it's not again so you know like it's a funny joke but it's also it tells this you this is a trend what yeah like what he's been doing before this movie started considering it's a very insular adventure mm-hmm. and it's only about Scott Pilgrim's like you know dating Ramona and it can't really show you anything outside of that we still know everything we pretty much would want to about every character character and even the most throwaway gags without horrible awful exposition right. no it's just like everything's just a very funny joke instead of uh like yeah oh, okay great we get it so yeah it's a very very tight script it's one of, that's pretty much what makes this movie for me as much as i do love the performances mm-hmm. if this wasn't uh or maybe i'll give actually credit to the editing because that script itself could be as good but if he didn't keep this rolling in the way he does it, it just would it, the whole thing would fall apart but this is you know not everybody's gonna love it it's made for the adhd pop culture gener- generation oh, whatever what no not not against you but it's just like people who are are constantly going to i mean they can people can say that as a bad thing but i'm just saying as far as the yeah the the, the way this is edited and thrown together it's mm-hmm. it's it goes from one scene to another literally within the same frame so i, I what do you mean by whatever no it, it's it's when people use that in a in a pejorative way in, in order to 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 constantly deride not only like the film itself, but it also comes kind of part and package with dismissing pop culture in general, dismissing graphic novels, dismissing video games. It's just it's it's kind of it's it's bored. It's it's tired. It's like if it's not for you, it's fine. Yeah. A uh, question I have mainly for Tucson because I know you are a fan of these films and these kind of films. Let's put it that way. When they're done well. Well, that that's where this question was going. Um, we look at other films that have tried to mirror comic book and or 
graphic novel into film and they haven't done and you could disagree with like not disagree but not like what marvel necessarily has done with all of their avenger or guardians of the galaxy movies or whatever you want to say but they have made them films pretty much and they're their own thing as movies instead of trying to you know stick really tightly to the source material but films that have tried to follow what graphic novels or comic books have had whether it be the angley hulk film which was done horribly with like the frames and all that shit yeah and then you look at a film like watchmen which uh, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother discussion that's but, a whole nother can of worms there. But, but when we look at this film as someone like you who is way into comic books and graphic novels the way that it was transferred from that into film how do you kind of think, feel like it was done by Edgar Wright? And do you think he did a good job capturing what the source material was really going for? I think he, well, first off, I, before the, the film even came out, I remember uh, following Edgar Wright's like personal blog because he would have like some Vimeo, like diaries or whatever of how the production of the film was going on. And I remember it, it, this was before, Watchmen, I think. This was before Watchmen came out? I don't think so. No, this was after. It was It was after? Okay, yeah. so maybe it was just a, another trend following suit from, from Watchmen, but he actually used the comic book itself, like the actual panels, as actual storyboards right. for... Like, there's so much detail from that one diary of what went into making uh, Knives Chow's... Uh, like her her room and and Ramona's apartment that is never seen on screen and yet he still committed himself to like making that as much as possible and I really appreciate that um, when it comes to like the actual editing and the actual pacing I think he did an, an exceptional job especially given with the constraints of having to condense this entire comic book series which again was not finished until then it's like it still didn't have its finale like the game of thrones of comic book adaptations <laughs> but uh it, it was it was he 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 did an exceptional job i think i think he did a really good job of what he had and i've actually recently talked to uh one of my friends bevan who was like a huge fan of the original comic he says like you know the film is great as long as you haven't read the comic and you oh. don't get too attached to that because if you do then you're always going to be seeing it through the lens of like how much it actually lines up verbatim with the comic, which I think that's kind of a. I, I kind of take that as a case by case basis when when it comes to. The I mean, there's only some if you want it. That's my only grudge against anybody when it comes to book, yeah. comic, or any adaptation is yeah. that if you want it to be a carbon copy and then just reread whatever the original material yeah. is because it's never going to be the same. Or if it is, in my opinion, it's it's doing a bad job because yeah. it's not realizing that certain things work on paper that don't work in the medium of film. But. And also, you don't have time for all 400 pages of Harry Potter right. in the Chamber of Secrets to someday. Put in someday we're going to have to have an episode on Watchmen because that's definitely an, uh, a conversation I want to have regarding specifically that film. When it comes, and I have a very limited uh, worldview when it comes to comic books and graphic novels, but when it comes to comic book and graphic novels adaptations, I've, I've seen a lot of them without having read the original source material. Mm-hmm. The only two adaptations that I think are worth a damn in this entire world, okay. uh, they're not superhero ones, but it's, it's this one... <laughs> As far as when it comes to capturing the aesthetic of you know the the, the panel by panel mm-hmm. uh, pacing and just electric energy that I just you know you don't get in any other film, uh, you know it reminds me of you know uh, 
in a good way of like the old Adam West Batman series, you know, as far as like just going all out and actually recognizing that this is a, a graphic novel at its heart. Very anarchic, very self-conscious, right. very, very campy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but as far as uh, just to show another example, but one that I think also separate from Scott Pilgrim is probably the other best adaptation of a graphic novel I've ever seen is one that completely strips away any pr- uh, pretense of a graphic novel and goes the exact opposite way, which is Ghost World by uh, Terry Zubloff. I was just thinking of that. Yes. Uh, and that one is fantastic as far as... I haven't read the original. I, I read some panels and whatnot. But, yeah. um, but as far as capturing the essence and just making the complete leap from a graphic novel to uh, to film. Have you seen that? I haven't seen that yet, and I actually haven't, oh, haven't read... The, I haven't actually read the original comic either, so... I was actually going to mention that, but I didn't have a frame of reference as to like well, how to I mention. I guess I had one. But um, <laughs> what I would be really interested in when it came comes to like the future of graphic novel adaptations, I'd like to see a lot more um, independent. Like I'd like to see a lot of more independent comics actually get their due because I'm just kind of fatigued over this whole like Mar- Marvel DC yeah. dick waving contest of like superhero Gross. superhero cinematic arms race. I don't care. Well, the, well, not just cinematic anymore. Now it's on their televisions. Yeah, I know. But the these kind of films, like the Scott Pilgrim versus the World kind of films, really need to be made by a studio who realizes that they aren't making this for profit. They are making oh, yeah. this to make a good pro- a good a good product and that's yeah. why i've seen this film like maybe a dozen times and yet i also i always still get surprised when i see the universal logo because i just completely forget that a like a studio major studio did this. was like hey you can do this not only that here turn our logo into ape it we don't give a fuck so <laughs> like i just i love that somebody did that and uh and they just let him go all out yeah it is wonderful and i love it beep yeah. beep boop, should we go to ratings uh, that's up to you guys. Yeah, do you have anything else you wanted to bring to the table be- before that? The only thing we didn't talk about, and not worth mentioning like that crazy or whatever, yeah. but I do also want to give credit for uh, Brie Larson's character because I kind of love the fact that they talk up Envy a lot before she's introduced. Yeah. And by the time she does get introduced, I actually think she makes the most out of her little scenes, uh, whatever. So I'm, I'm a fan of what she did with that character. There is one more thing that I have to mention about this film, and that is I love the soundtrack. The oh, soundtrack yeah. is... Is Beck very, produced the whole thing, I believe. Yes, yes, and it is very, very well done. Yeah, I grew up on Beck's music, so that was another frame of reference that when I came in, and I'm like, oh my god, this is the lo-fi shit that he kind of was straying away from at the time that he did uh, the soundtrack, so it was almost like getting a lost uh, Beck record that I haven't heard before, so it was awesome. Yeah, I'd have to say that my favorite song off the the soundtrack, and it has like its own like little moment in spotlighting, like, well, well, who are you talking about again? Beck? Be- no, not Beck. I mean uh, Envy. Oh, yeah. Envy, Ed- Envy, Ed- Adams. Envy Adams. Yeah. yeah. Oh, her song when yeah. she's performing. As yeah, a, Black know. Sheep. That's my favorite song off yeah. the entire like soundtrack. It's so damn good. It's good. Yeah. It's good. And that's another, really quick, but that's another, what we were talking about earlier, how it's so pop culturally literate. Um, that's another thing that's actually just as important as video games, uh, you know, uh, comic books. It's also music is a huge, huge thing in this entire thing. I mean, the whole thing is almost wrapped around Scott and his band or whatever. So I kind of, it's funny because we barely talked about the music in this movie, and yet that's like, even the poster is Scott Pilgrim stepping on the amp as he's playing the bass, you know, and so um, 
you, you can't have this movie and not have uh, the music or the soundtrack kind of live up to its own potential. So and it did. So it's fantastic. Good stuff. Well, uh, I guess we should go to ratings. And um, even though Toussaint started us off, I think I should start with ratings because I'll probably have the least to uh, bring to the table with it. And I'll let you guys finish strong on this, even though I did really enjoy this film. Sure. Um, early on in the movie, I, I like certain parts and I was not crazy about others, like the first fight scene and even some of the second one. But as the movie progressed, I was able to get more on board with it where I was really enjoying this film by the end. And I think uh, that's something that this did really well is I, I almost felt like this this felt more like a graphic novel or a book than really anything because it's not like a film like these days where you have... And not even necessarily like action films, but that's just like a genre I'm using where usually there's like a big fight scene at the beginning just to get you interested where I feel like this film really does start off like a book where it, you, you need, if it's the first time viewing it, you don't know anything about it. You need to get into it to enjoy the rest of the film or enjoy the rest of the book. If we're using that, uh, that medium. In so, a faraway land of Ontario, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I just got on board with this film the more it went on, and even though uh, the character of Gideon, played by um, why am I Jason Schwartz, Jason Schwartzman, uh, even though his character you know wasn't my favorite, I still really enjoyed his performance, and I enjoyed pretty much every performance. I, I think that was my favorite part of the entire film was the casting choices that were made because the casting in this film was so good, even the small roles and. I have to be honest, one of my favorite parts early on in the film was the opening credits, not knowing anything about this film, and seeing some of the names, and my absolute favorite was Brandon Routh, who was in this film, who honestly has been gone ever since that failed Superman movie many a moon ago, and just to see him in this movie, and I actually really enjoyed his character, is he is one of... That wig is ridiculous. Yeah, and that that vegan fight that he has with with, uh, Scott is just, and he ends up with Thomas Jane coming and being one of the the police oh man yep. the vegan police that was and there, there's just so many little things to, to pick out from this movie and I've still only seen it once like I, this is one of a film one of the films that there's many out there but I'm sure gets even better on you've got a lot ways. of good things to look forward to yeah. watching this film and uh, especially if you're into it which again uh, starting off I was not crazy into it but as a film wore on I, I picked up what it was putting down and I enjoyed it very much so I'm going to give Scott Pilgrim vs. the World a pretty good rating i think of three and a half stars as i was i was a big fan and i will pass off to nick i guess well yeah i mean i absolutely love this film it's uh like i've already said it's the the attention to detail alone is uh amazing even behind the scenes like toussaint was explaining one thing i just you just reminded me of alex is that opening credit scene because when they're um when the camera's pulling out and his living room somehow gets elongated Mm -hmm. into like an entire hallway or whatever like that's not cgi they actually built a set that they could just remove the wall and go forward and backwards on it and i love that they did that just so that they could get that one 20 second shot and like that's the kind of commitment it's kind of thing alfred hitchcock would do yes and that's the kind of like altruism and the commitment and just the passion that edgar wright had for this movie that ended up manifesting itself as something just that's kind of like a sight to behold so i there's really not much more i could say because if i were to keep talking i would just start basically listing off every single gag i love <laughs> so i'm gonna pass it off to tucson but um i would probably give it 
I kind of go back and forth. Like, on the one hand, I think objectively, like, this is a five-star film for me. Like, I just don't know what else I would change about it because mm-hmm. it is so good at what it's doing. that, And I, I wouldn't, like, know where to even begin if I had any criticism just because I'm like, you know, if you change one thing, it's like a house of cards. It's just going to come tumbling down, in my opinion. So, on the one hand, I do think this is basically a perfect film. As far as, like, my personal enjoyment, I, I, I probably would give it a, a four and a half out of five because I, I think the only thing that somewhat wavers is the uh, and I probably should have talked about this when we were actually doing the main review because <laughs> I'm just starting to think about this but one thing that does start to always creep in my mind whenever I'm watching the movie or just after is something that starts to waver is I would say the shading of Scott's character himself like his personality and mm-hmm. whether the film condones his behavior or uh, doesn't because there, there's some like uh, sometimes it gets a little I would think totally confused and I don't know if that goes back to Brian O'Malley's character him, uh, I think that goes more towards they spent mind you this is like yeah. a, a comic series that spans across like seven different volumes over right. the course of multiple years so like they're, they're, he's, Brian O'Malley is going to have a lot more time to be able to pace out and be able to like actually show like Scott's own personal growth and his own right. self-reflection in this. Whereas this is like his growth is treated as a one-note joke, which I think is actually a funny joke, and, and it works in as far as the kinetic pacing of this movie, where he uh, you know he gains the power of self-respect or whatever. Yeah. But it's also like at what expense does that treat the character of Ramona? Sometimes, like I feel like sometimes she's caught in the crossfire of Scott's own growth. And, um, and I just wonder if there was another way to somehow show Ramona, who's uh, backed by a terrific performance uh, by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. But sometimes I, al- I almost wonder if her development, just as like a human being, just sometimes get, I would say, lost by the uh, wayside. Because sometimes I'm just wondering if the film doesn't exactly realize that it is kind of pushing this whole Scott has to fight for her and it's all about Scott. Like nothing about Ramona's like past has to do with her because it's all in the service of Scott's own growth. That more comes to bear in the, the actual graphic novel. Okay. And I could even rope that into, so the, yeah, you can take it from the, here. The, the primary criticism of Ramona flowers in the film versus Ramona flowers in the uh, comic is that a lot less time is spent with her and just with uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's uh, portrayal of Ramona. I like Ramona in this in this movie, but she is very much totally a different character than in the comics where like this one she's a lot more uncertain she's a little more colder she's a little more aloof a little frigid yeah frigid yeah. is that's definitely the word for is like she's kind of um She's she's not humorless, but she does have kind of like a deadpan sort of like like one track. This is the way it is sort right. of way about her. Um, I, I think that that might come to bear as to why she seems like she's being pushed to the to the sidelines for her own development because she had a lot more room to grow in the actual comics itself. That makes sense. Um, I would have to say that my score for this, like I I'm judging. I'm, I'm jumping back and forth between a a four and a four and a half because I don't think that it's a, a perfect film. Like a five out of five is something that I reserve for a very special tier of film with its effect on me. But I think that this film per- personally is such a an awesome adaptation of a really great comic series. And I think that even though it's not perfect in the eyes of fans, I think that it deserves to stand alongside the rest of the property. I feel like Scott Pilgrim is one of those very rare franchises where I don't feel like everything has 
Everything that that's been tied to Scott Pilgrim outside of the comic, with like the 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 side scrolling beat 'em up game, which is actually really fucking good, and this film and and the soundtrack for this films, like it's all good. It's all on par with that of the original comic, and a lot of like extended properties don't get that kind of privilege to be good if spread out like that way. So, yeah, I'm definitely giving this a four and a half out of five. Very good. We're we're all very high on Scott Pilgrim versus the World. So uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a, a good discussion about Scott Pilgrim versus the World. And if you want to see a good uh, comic book adaptation film that isn't uh, made by Marvel or sometimes DC. They haven't really made a good one in a while. But <laughs> anyways, if you want to see a, a movie that's a little different, uh, this is definitely a great one to check out. Next week on uh, our next episode, we're going to be talking about a uh, older film that uh, is from 1998, which is uh, getting on 17 years ago now, which is really a long time ago. Yep. Uh, it's a movie that is, is weird because it was a influential a little bit about bringing people into uh, the world that happens in this film, but also um, this film has, has gotten a lot of popularity post when it was released because it was really uh, a flop when in the theater. It did not do well in its release. It almost felt like a straight home video it, 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 even though it was released in the theater because it does have somewhat big stars yeah. it was not did not play well at all in the theater in its initial run but it is definitely i, I won't even say like a cult classic because it's not like a classic or anything like that i don't think but it from the way that there has been a change in uh the society that is talked about in this film uh there's been You're a keeping lo- us in suspense. I know, right? There's been a lot more interest uh, in this film <laughs> as the years have gone on, uh, especially in the um, early to mid 2000s. And that film is 1998's Rounders. Mm. Uh, the uh, po- so you were talking about the world of Texas Hold'em poker. Yes, uh, it got a little more popular between 1998 and uh, the early 2000s. The internets may have uh, yeah. played a part in that. <laughs> you can play poker on the internet. Well, hot damn! Can you get porn? There too. Oh man, Nick, don't talk about that. It's very hush hush. It's not available, really. You need to you need to. Hey, I watched a whole places. documentary about it. <laughs> it's available. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyways, Rounders, the uh, 1998 film, stars people who are actually pretty big stars, and Matt Damon and Edward Norton. Oh yeah, I know them. Also, Gretchen Moll and a uh, an interesting performance by John Malkovich uh, that we'll get into more detail on next week. Put the cookie down. <laughs> I don't know why, but I thought that was thematically relevant, even though it's not from the same movie. Or yeah, the it's same from person. Arnold. And, but that's what I think yeah. whenever he starts fondling his Oreos. Yeah, he's a, he's a big fan of those Oreos. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll probably talk more about that in his character on uh, next week's episode. If you have any feelings on either Scott Pilgrim vs. the World or Rounders, uh, you can send them to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also uh, find us on filmtankshow.com or iTunes. Uh, that's where our episodes are always available, especially our recent episodes, if you'd like to listen to them. And older episodes are on our website always. Uh, also, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Film Tank Show. Uh, and that's uh, where you can always find us, as we're, we're always out there. And again, if you uh, want to send us uh, an email about anything uh, film-related, feel free to do that at any time at filmtankshow at gmail.com. So from Nick Cheney, Tucson Egan, and myself, Alex Diegman, thank you uh, very much for listening, and we will catch up with you on episode 28.